This is the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Episode 3. I'm your host, Wes McAdams, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing the Christian's conscience. And before we get into the show, I want to thank our sponsor, Campaign Capitol Hill, which is a grassroots effort by Churches of Christ aimed at raising awareness in the brotherhood on the fine line between politics and religion, preaching the gospel to our nation's leaders, focusing on repentance and God's standard of morality, and reaching lost souls with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You can find Campaign Capitol Hill on Facebook at facebook.com slash campaign capital hill or on their website campaigncapitolhill.com for more information on how to join the March for God's Word. I'm sitting here today with Sam Dominguez. Sam, how are you, brother? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Great. I'm excited about this conversation, and I'm here with James Sumners. James, how are you, brother? Doing good. Good to be here with you guys. Fantastic. Well, we've talked about several things on the show. I was thinking today we might talk about um, our conscience. What What is our conscience? What role does that have have to play in the life of a Christian? To what extent should we listen to our conscience? Um, you know, obviously the world says, listen to your heart, you know, and I guess that would go along with that idea of your conscience. And so the world says, listen to your heart, just do what that inner voice inside you tells you to do. Um, Christians, for the most part, we say, don't listen to that that voice. But yet there are times where we do, and I think we should listen to that uh, that voice inside of us. Okay, so what? where do we see that in Scripture? What, what ideas do y'all have about that? What thoughts do you have on the idea of the conscience? Well, you know, the world always tries to act as though it is, the conscience is this separate entity from your uh, biases and your fallibility and these things that you want and you pursue in life, and thus it can act as this somehow impartial judge as to the rightness or wrongness of whatever it is you happen to be doing at that particular moment. But, you know, it's, it's a ludicrous idea because our conscience is uh, bound entirely upon our own knowledges and experiences and biases that we have built into ourselves. And so, you know, you, it, it's, you know, following along with the Disney movies, well, you've got the one Disney movie that promotes the idea of having a conscious, and it's a cricket and whatnot. But then you can look at some of the other ones, and, you know, the main point being, well, follow your heart in certain movies, and then there are other Disney movies where it's take your responsibility and follow your duty, and there are different things like that. And they come to these dramatically different uh, outcomes but the, the idea of your conscious somehow being separate and apart or impartial, uh, in, an, an impartial voice in your life is ridiculous because it's, it's bound to what you know and desire. Right. It's not, it's not some outside force speaking to you. It is you. It, it's a dialogue you're having with yourself on whether or not you should do something or not do something. It is, to a certain extent, our judge as it sits there and it says, you know, and, and so often our conscience convicts us after the fact. <laughs> you know, it's like, where were you when I was doing that thing, you know? But then all of a sudden our conscience pipes up and says, you know, Wes, what you did earlier, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. And you have this as we say, the guilty conscience, you know, and so it, it does act as our judge, but like you said, it is us. It's not some outside force that's speaking to us. It is our own, our own mind and our own heart. You know, it's something that, like you said, the judge, our society has, we've, we've come to a point where we, we have what we call uh, postmodernism, where you're okay, I'm okay, whatever you think is okay, what, what you judge by by your conscience or what, what you feel is good for you and what I judge is good for me. And so we can have separate ideas of what 
we think is right all comes from essentially our conscience, that your conscience tells you this is good and right or whatever, or at least you want to imagine that it does, and then and then mine says this or whatever. And so we have this struggle between, well, you say this is right and I say this is right, and our consciences, in essence, don't agree. And since, like you said, it's our judge, at least personally, how do we reconcile having these differing uh, judges within our relationships with each other? And how do we deal with each other if we have these judges in our heads that are that are guiding us in different ways and telling us one thing's right and another thing's wrong, and you say something else? Well, that, that's why the world uh, tries to uh, promote this idea that we should all only be bound by our conscience, because the idea is not to say, I am the best arbitrator of maintaining my own morality. The idea is, oh, well, if I'm only governed by my conscience, I am, you know, subtly cognizant of the fact or admitting to the fact that I control that conscience. And thus, instead of becoming our judge, it becomes our shield. And so when Wes comes to me and says, hey, Sam, you need to shape up. And I can say, well, you know, hey, I'm okay with it. And so you need to be okay with it and all, all whatnot. And there was a time you know, specifically referenced in the scripture where that train of thought was prevalent. And of course, that's in the time of the judges when it says, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And the you know, the import of that was that it was a horrible time. You know, no one was right with God. And of course, our desire should be not to be right in our own eyes, but to be right in God's eyes. So how how do we... How do we use this inner dialogue to keep ourselves right with God? Right. You know, and I heard somebody say one time, and I love this quote, that that your conscience makes a great red light, but a horrible green light. You know, so we shouldn't assume that just because my conscience isn't saying anything, I don't feel guilty about this decision, that's not a green light to go ahead and do it. It doesn't mean that it's right. Uh, but if our conscience is pricking us saying, hey, you probably shouldn't do that, then you shouldn't do that. You should take that as a red light. And I think that goes along with what Paul says in Romans 14, that if you do something against your conscience, if you do something not knowing whether or not it's right or wrong, or assuming that it's probably wrong, but you go ahead and do it, then you're doing it is sinful. What you don't do by faith, you sin. And so, but it is interesting, going back to what James was saying, it is interesting that... Um, Everybody seems to have a conscience, and I think that that's a great indicator, that's a great evidence of God's existence, that we have this moral compass inside of our minds that help us to determine right and wrong, the fact that there is objective morality and the fact that we can gauge moral, you know, whether or not something is moral or immoral, um, is a great evidence of God's existence the fact that we do that and animals don't, but the fact that all of our consciences are saying something different proves that it is a part of our own mind, and it is tied to what we grew up learning, what we grew up understanding. And I wanted to bring out a passage, uh, Hebrews 5 and verse 14. It doesn't use the word conscience, at least in the English standard. It says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that that idea of the powers of discernment is is almost like 
the the Greek term, I forget what it is off the top of my head, but um, it has to do with like the organ of the part of you, the part of your being that helps you make those decisions between right and wrong. And so what, what the Hebrew writer says is that your conscience or your powers of discernment have to be trained by constant practice. So it's intentional that our conscience has to be trained and determined depending on how it's been trained or whether or not it's been trained or who trained it is going to determine what we think is right and what we think is wrong. Well, and I think so many people in the world, and and this has influenced all of us in the church uh, to one degree or another, like to conceive of having a conscience as something that is outside of yourself and thus I can't do anything to affect it. Thus, I'm I'm off the hook for what it tells me. And thus, if I make a mistake, and well, you know, my conscience didn't stop me, thus I'm somehow absolved of that error, rather than recognizing that God designed us to be able to say, okay, I want you to stop and think about what you're doing, and I want you to give critical analysis to what you know about me, about my expectations for you, about my will, and determine whether this thing is right or wrong. You know, it, it puts the responsibility back where it should be, which is on us. And we love to have the idea of a conscience that's outside of our responsibility, because then when we make mistakes, it's not our fault. And when it gets put right back on us by the Scripture, that no, you need to train yourself. You need to do all this preparatory work, all this planning ahead, the type of thing we were talking about last week. Planning ahead, preparation for whatever may come. That's how you can actually trust your conscience, is if you've trained it to do what God wants it to do. And you don't train it up to be pleasing in your eyes, you train your conscience to be pleasing to God. And then you have that inner dialogue, that talk with yourself, and you employ that critical analysis, your powers of discernment. That's how you make yourself know and do right instead of wrong. The responsibility comes entirely back to us. Right. You you know, when you look at the Pharisees, and you think of, they, they talk about their actions, they talk about the things that they do, the, the things that are important to them are a lot of the, the exterior things that Jesus wants to talk about uh, and change in, in them is, is um, coding over the outside and not what, because that's what they do. They want to show, hey, look, I'm a white fence, I'm clean, I'm pure, but, but Jesus talks about inside you're full of dead men's bones. He, um, over and over again, Jesus talks about what you fill yourself with. What makes you clean is not what is not what um, comes out of you, but more or less what you put in. Right, what what comes out of you, and you can't have you can't have clean things come out of you. You can't have clean things come out of you if you're filling yourself with things other than that which is pure. You can't be speaking good when you fill yourself with evil. When you fill your head with with curse words, when you fill your head with with vile things, vile images, and godless things, when you don't fill your th- head with the mind of Christ, you're not going to have the mind of Christ. You're not going to be able to make those decisions like we're talking about if we're not filling our mind with uh, with right thinking and right understanding and disciplining ourselves. Right. But if you're not doing the proper training of your powers of discernment, then you are trusting yourself, trusting your own mind on the matter. You are effectively doing what is right in your own eyes, which we all know and understand 
to not be what God's expectation of us is. But, you know, um, I, I love the context of Hebrews 5 there because it's a discussion of a sensitive and difficult topic about what needs to be done, and it's also a discussion between mature Christians and immature Christians and how you handle their understanding versus your understanding. I mean, this is literally the context of what we supposed or what the world considers a conscious being for. And the answer is that you have trained up your powers of discernment based on the Word of God. It is that you've thought about this already, or you have filled your mind with the Word of God, so you understand how God would have you to act. And so there's all kinds of situations where what we really want to do is say, okay, God can can govern my actions in the one-to-one scenarios where it's, I is this right or wrong? Yes, it's right. Yes, it's wrong. This and that, you know, back and forth. But anytime we get into these murky, hard to, you know, figure out problems, well, that's when I need to be led by my conscience. And it's like, no, that is when you even more so are dependent on the Word of God and how God has trained you and taught you how to respond to these situations. In the very situation where we want to trust in ourselves, that is where we have been clearly instructed that you need to depend even more fully upon God's explanation. Right. And, and you know, like you said, the context of Hebrews 5 is so, it, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's the idea of he's admonishing them because they're not teachers, and he says, you've had enough time to be ready for this solid food that I want to give you, but I can't, because you're not ready for that, because you haven't trained yourself, you you haven't gotten yourself ready, your conscience uh, is not prepared to take that, you know, and so um, we, we are, because of our own lack of, as we talked about last week, discipline, and our own lack of training ourselves, we are not as mature sometimes as we should be, and so we get ourselves into situations where we don't know what's right and wrong because we haven't built up that muscle, and it's it's exactly like a muscle, and you think about an athlete, he can't, he can't wait until he's out on the field to be, to have that muddle, muscle, muscle trained and, and ready to go. He has to be building that muscle all along so that not only he's strong enough, but he has those muscle reflexes they don't sit there, you know, alignment on the football field doesn't sit there and think about what's going to happen. He doesn't think about what he's doing when he's doing it. It's just become a part of his reflexes. It's become a part of what he does almost instinctually, not that he was born that way, but because he's trained himself, it has become his instinct. And so many of us never reach that level of maturity where we can instinctually know, well, no, that wouldn't be a good thing to do, or yes, that would be a good thing to do, because we haven't been intentional about building that that muscle of our conscience. You know, as we as we study and we do all these things, this is not something that just there's a point at which I can stop and say I have made it and I now have a conscience which is strong and capable of doing everything and I don't have to continue the process. It's something that we have to continue to work at. You know, to have that instinct Sometimes we want to be able to say, well, I'm, I'm done. You know, I can, I can make these decisions without having to consult God. I don't need to pray to God anymore. I don't need to do all these things because I know that God's taking care of me. I know that he, I can trust in Him. I've, I've read the Word. I understand the Word. So I'm good now that I don't have to continually develop that conscience. That's not true at all. Just like you're talking about the analogy of, uh, in sports, you have to continue to 
to buffet your body, as Paul talks about. You have to continue to strive to be able to run that race because the race isn't over. The race is not over for you until till the day that your body is placed in the grave. We have to keep on pushing so that our conscience can develop the strength to continue to, to make these decisions throughout our lives. Sometimes we get this strange concept in our heads that older people have better understanding just because they're older. We, we see examples in the Bible give us examples of, of older people who leave God, who start off strong and end up falling away. Just because people get older doesn't make them better Christians, doesn't make them better godly people. It takes the work of a lifetime to get with God to heaven. Now, that's not to say that we believe that it's by by works that we're getting to heaven, but it's a work that we're doing. God has made us for the good work to glorify His name, and we have to continually work on building a strength of understanding and how God wants us to think so that we can continue to make the right decisions and and deal with the decisions that we make. Well, I think you bring up a couple great points there, James. One is that, like you said, if we don't continue doing it, like the muscle analogy, uh, our, our muscles atrophy. You know, they 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 waste away if we're not continuing to to work them out. We can't say, "Well, I I'm a pretty good judge of right and wrong. I have a pretty good uh, understanding of what's right and what's wrong." Today, maybe, but if you're not intentionally building that muscle, you will lose that power of discernment. You will not be as good tomorrow if you're not intentionally building that continually, continually. The other thing that that I think you, what you said brings out to me is what we've said so many times before already is pursuit. You know, what are we pursuing? I think about, I think about, I'm, a, I'm full of food metaphors, I guess sometimes, but um, when I'm on a diet, you know, if I eat a piece of chocolate and I think, ah, man, I shouldn't have done that. And I feel guilty. My conscience plagues me because I ate a piece of chocolate. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes I feel guilty when I eat a piece of chocolate. Other times I think, man, that was awesome. Can I have another one? You know, and I, I don't feel guilty at all. And it has everything to do with what I'm trying to accomplish at that moment. If I'm trying to accomplish weight loss, well, then I feel completely guilty when I've eaten a piece of chocolate. When I'm just having a good time and I just am out to enjoy myself, well, then I don't feel guilty at all. And so you, you talk about the Pharisees, or you talk about the faithful Jews, or you talk about Christians, or you talk about people out in the world, of course, when our conscience pangs us is going to be different because we've all got different things that we're trying to accomplish. And going back to what the Hebrew writer says, he says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Um, you know, the idea is we want to know the difference between good and evil. And I think about Romans chapter 12, uh, 1 and 2. You know, I want to know the will of God because I want to please God. And so when I do something that I know is wrong and sinful, and my conscience convicts me and says, Wes, what you did was wrong, and I feel guilty about it. I feel guilty because I want to please God, and I know that I didn't, either in not doing what I was supposed to do or in doing something I wasn't supposed to. I think we also can fall very easily into the trap of discussing the idea of conscience as something that happens to us or something within our own mind that springs upon us in the moment. You know, I'm, I am happily merrily on my way to do this thing, and my conscience jumps in front of me and says, oh, no, you shouldn't do that, or, you know, whatever it ends up being. But when we look into the Scripture and we analyze all the different ways that the idea of 
moral arbitration in your mind are discussed, it is, it's used in words like discipline. It's used in discernment. It's used in buffet and uh, regulation of your own body. It's in analogies to athletes and the training that they do. And it seems very clear to me anyway, that the intention is not that you expect your conscience to spring out of its own accord and wave a stop sign in front of you, but rather that it is your responsibility to be giving active consideration to each thing that you do in your life. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't just be loping about doing whatever occurs to you to do, not being led by your, your passions, but you should be taking responsibility to consider is this something that is good for me to do? Is this something that is right for me to do? Am I being pleasing to God in this behavior? And, and once again, it puts that responsibility right back on us. You know, it, and it, it makes me think about the Old Testament instructions to the priests and how they, they were not instructed to simply relay to the people what is right and wrong in God's eyes. They were instructed to teach them to discern between right and wrong. You know, they were not to be these moral arbiters for the people, but they were to teach the people to be able to arbitrate themselves and take responsibility for knowing and understanding what God's expectations were in every aspect of our lives, fully planned out, having a game plan like the athlete might have, and having their discernment trained all the way up to that they, they don't have to sit and, and belabor the idea for minutes at a time, but they can make good, reasonable uh, uh, decisions based on whether something's going to be pleasing to God or not because of the training that they've done, and they have that inner dialogue themselves so that they truly are responsible for their actions. And maybe one reason that, that like I said before, that the conscience really only, quote-unquote, shows up after the fact when I'm lying in bed and I'm thinking about the day and my conscience pangs me and it says, Wes, man, you blew it today. You said that. I can't believe you said that. You probably hurt Sam's feelings when you said that. I can't believe you said that. You know, whatever it is. And and so I start to feel guilty about it. It it might be because that was the first time that I started to discern and say, should I or shouldn't I? I didn't in the moment when I should have considered the moral ramifications of what I was doing. I didn't do that then. And so it's only later that my conscience has been given voice because I had muted him by not, by not, again, I'm talking him like he's a outside party, but I muted that part of my mind and my heart because I wasn't considering at the moment, I wasn't considering what is right, what is good. And sometimes it's the difference, not just between good and bad, but between good and better. You know, what's the best thing to say here or the best thing to do there? Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's why I use the expression, is what I'm doing pleasing to God? Right. You know, Because there are times when it's not a consideration of, am I going to be punished for this behavior, but rather, am I behaving in a completely neutral way when I have an opportunity to behave in a way that will be bring glory to God, mm -hmm. that will be, be pleasing in His eyes, that will be a sweet savor before Him, you know? And it reminds me of... The single most repetitive thing that I've had to say to my son that I'm sure I'm going to have to say to my daughter as she gets older when we're discussing, why did you do that? Why did you do this? Why, you know, so on and so forth, training them up so that they can do what's right. And I always have to say, did you stop and think? Or my admonition before they proceed into something is to say, remember, stop and think 
before you do these things, you know, when you hit your little sister with your rubber sword and she then cries and it's this and that, don't look at me with surprise when you get in trouble. You know, and of course, now stopping and think about it, you recognize that what you did was wrong. But what I need for you to do is stop and think beforehand. Right. You know, (laughs) the other thing that I'm constantly having to say to him is don't be sorry, be correct or be obedient, is what I usually end up saying. You know, the answer to doing the wrong thing is not being sorry about it. You know, and, you know, thank the Lord we have grace and we have forgiveness. We have an advocate before God for when we do make mistakes. But the answer to doing wrong is not forgiveness. The answer is obedience. Be right to begin with. And we have given, you know, we're given all things to train ourselves up for for righteousness. Let's take advantage of that. Because I would really love it if I didn't have to fall back on forgiveness as often as I do, but instead could live in obedience. Right, and that's what Paul says, that godly sorrow produces repentance. And the idea of repentance isn't just that I feel sorry for my sins, it's that I'm changing, I'm turning around, I'm doing something different. Talking about about our children and, and training up their conscience as well, and training our own, the idea is not that we come up with a list of things that our conscience needs to understand so that we can, our conscience, again, ex- outside, will know how to inform our inside how to, to behave. It's it's training ourselves to, to look ahead, to prepare, to say, when I'm doing such and such, when some, something's happening, these are things I need to be thinking about in advance. When I was growing up, one of the things, this is, my dad always taught me, Whenever you're uh, dealing with girls as a boy, if I'm at a girl's house or I'm anywhere involved with uh, someone of the opposite sex, if if there is just me and that person, the door needs to be open and I need to be where I can be seen from the door and I can get out. I mean, of course, my dad was a my dad was a, a, a girls basketball coach, so he understood that he understood that and 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 built that into to how I I live and how I understand. Any time that that I'm in, I was in that situation as a kid. I would always automatically, my brain would say, "Okay, where's the door? Where's the exit? How do I get out? How do I make sure that I'm safe and doing the right thing?" And it was built into me so that I knew immediately how to act and how to behave. And that's how we should train our consciousness so that whenever anything occurs, we automatically know the we know what we need to be doing, how we need to be thinking, how we need to behave, what we need to look for and where we need to go. There was a great sermon series I heard one time that was called Guardrails, and it was about that idea that we have to establish these guardrails in our life and our mind so that when we bump up against them, it's like your dad said, now, is there anything inherently sinful with having the door closed and and a male and a female being in a room? Not necessarily, but he knew that that could lead easily to something that is sinful, and so he helped you establish that guardrail in your mind so that when you bumped up against that, or if that guardrail even got closed— then you already felt guilty. You already felt your conscience saying, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on here, James, there's there's something wrong here. And and we've got to do that. The guy preaching this series said, you know, he set up a guardrail in his life that he doesn't go to a meal with someone of the opposite sex but except his wife or except that she's there. And so he doesn't take a woman to dinner by by themselves. And so if a scenario pops up where 
oops, uh, I'm here, there's not somebody else, then he, he feels guilty. His conscience says, whoa, you're going to a place that you've already trained yourself. Don't go here. Don't, don't go down that road. And we do. It, I love your emphasis on preparation all the time because we do have to prepare for those things before they happen and not while they're happening and then try to figure out, okay, is this right or wrong or what do I do now? Well, very often in these circumstances, we don't have time to give intense deliberation to the problem. You know, a circumstances rises up where you need to respond or you need to react to that situation, and you you are dependent on your discernment, on your conscience, on your judgment. You know, that's another word that we use. You know, we train up our judgment, our ability to make good judgments in, in our lives. And, you know, that's the whole point. We will end up inevitably in circumstances where we don't have time to stop and think about it or to phone a friend or get information or whatever we need to do to help make a good decision. We need to have had a game plan beforehand. We need to have trained up our discernment so that we can make not just the right decision, but we can make the right decision quickly in the moment that it needs to be made and ensure that we don't we don't shoot ourselves in the foot or cause, you know like a domino effect of problems in our lives because we weren't ready to make that initial decision. We weren't ready to discern that thing right away. And thus it led to this problem, which then led to that problem. This led to that problem. You know, that there's a reason why God gave us all of this information so that we could be, we could take that responsibility. We could prepare ourselves for all of these situations and, and never be caught flat footed, never be caught unawares. We can make as good a judgments as possible based on our knowledge and familiarity with God's Word. But that takes discernment on our part. That takes effort on our part. We can't relay that to anybody else. We certainly can't pass that off on our parents. And as parents, we can't be in a position to say, well, I'm just going to teach them what is right and is wrong. I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to teach them to discern what is right and wrong, because there's going to come a day when I'm not going to be there, and he's not going to have time to come back and ask me, and I need him to be able to discern the truth. I need him to be able to make the correct judgment at the time, and to do that, you have to put all the preparation into it beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. Great discussion today, guys. I appreciate your thoughts. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.